0: Well, I can't tell you how many Sunday mornings we come to this point in our service having just sung a song like that. And I walk up here and, and kind of feel in my heart, let's just close in prayer. <laughs> it's been an awesome day, an awesome time of worship. You have entered into it with your hearts and minds and God is honored and God is pleased. And I, I thank you, all of you, for making worship happen here in this place. Now at this point in our service we'll dismiss our boys and girls though in elementary school and our young men and women in our youth Sunday school class that they can study God's word with their peers and thank you so much for sharing with us when it comes to being worshipers of God you are our peers and we worship him together as his children here. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, it's a marvelous thing to hold the word of God in our hand. For untold centuries, people who loved you, knew you, followed you, and told others about you, had no opportunity to hold your word in their hands. Most of them held it in their hearts. And they loved it, repeated it, gathered wherever it was being discussed or shared. Father, we thank you that we have the complete revelation of God given to us in a single book that we can carry with us, that we can open and read, that we can compare one scripture to another. And now, Father, we're going to open it to that passage where we've been now for a month. We pray you'll help us wrap up all the things that Jesus himself was teaching to those two walkers to Emmaus. So bless us and guide us and thrill us and encourage us for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All through this month, a little more than a month, we started the first of March in fact, we've been following a little series of messages probably the shortest series I've ever preached, only five weeks long. We've called it the Emmaus message, and it's really the message that Jesus Christ gave, the teaching he shared with the two men that he caught up to on Easter afternoon who were walking home to Emmaus. Now, five weeks ago, we introduced you to this passage, and today, for the first time, I'm going to read the whole thing, the whole story of where this took place, what was going on, and what stimulated Jesus to give probably the most incredible teaching that he ever gave. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open it to Luke chapter 24, otherwise we'll scroll along on the screen, or you might have your phone that you can follow along, but just listen. It's the first time in the five weeks I've read the whole story, and here's how it goes. Luke 24, beginning with verse 13. Now that same day, that would be Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, that same day, two of them, that means two of the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, Why are you discussing? What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He, that is Jesus, said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's near the evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. While he was at table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us in the road and and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true! It's true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now, what we've been doing this entire month, the four weeks prior to today is we have been trying to answer the question, try to satisfy ourselves with the question, what in the world did Jesus teach them? It says he started with Moses. That would be the the first five books of the Bible, starting with Genesis. He started with the book of the scripture that Moses had written, and he took them all the way through the Old Testament scripture, all the prophets, all the things, and he was pointing out to them everything the Bible said about himself. And so we started with a question five weeks ago. What do you suppose he said? What would it be like if we had been there that day and could have listened in to that Bible lesson that he gave them that probably took two or three hours as they walked seven miles? How did Jesus draw their attention and what would be the key scriptures he would have drawn their attention to as he's explaining his place in those scriptures? The place of Jesus of Nazareth, who, who they were following, who they loved, who they revered, and who now their fear fearing is, has been set aside. They didn't realize it was Jesus talking to them, but they realized as soon as he started speaking and taking them through the scripture, it's like their their heart just got excited, got a fire. They wanted to hear more and wanted to hear more. And So what we've been doing for four weeks is saying, let's imagine, let's imagine we were there. Let's imagine we, along with the two of them, got to hear how Jesus put it together. and So that's what we've been doing. Now, it's pretty dangerous to speak for Jesus. So what we've had to commit ourselves to is make sure that the only things we say are the things that are actually in the Scripture. And the kind of things that are so important regarding the ministry of Jesus that Jesus himself would not have left them out. And so for four weeks we've gone through the the Old Testament scripture identifying the key things that, that kind of point the way toward Jesus Christ. Starting with the book of Genesis. Now, what I want us to do on this final Sunday is to let Jesus finish up. He's already told them that God had promised in the book of Genesis to send a devil destroyer, one who would destroy the serpent, would crush his head. Someone's going to come to put Satan away for good. We saw the scriptures where it made clear that God would provide, once sin came into the world, a sin offering that would take care of the penalty of sin even as God initially killed some animals in the garden and covered Adam and Eve and those animals gave their lives that the guilty pair could continue to live. The day would come when God would send a sin offering that would be a once-for-all sacrifice. And then we also saw Jesus take the people to the promise, the prophecy, really, that Moses gave, where he said, after I'm gone, he said, there will come a prophet like me, like me, who will speak the words of God to you, who will know God face to face, and that hangs in the air as a promise. And then we saw, last of all, that, that God had promised to King David, flawed as he was, but a man who had a heart that was pleasing to God, who sought to please God, God promised him, David, you will always have an heir. There is coming a great king that will be in your family line, and, and so that was hanging in the air. So as they go through the scriptures these two men would have said, well, that's exactly what we thought. We've been looking for the one who will redeem Israel. That's what our Messiah is going to be. And it hasn't turned out at all the way we planned. And so now let's just pick it up. Let's pretend this is now Jesus talking them into the last chapter of his lesson and hear his voice if you can as I try to present it to you. So we pick up the lesson with Jesus saying, so, fellas, so, fellas, do you remember the question I asked you when we began this walk through the scriptures? The key question that must be asked and must be answered, and it was on the road to Emmaus. Fellas, do you remember when I asked you this? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? I know that your immediate automatic response, if I had given you a chance to respond, would have been absolutely not. Not our Messiah. Not our heir to the throne of David. Not our devil destroyer. Absolutely not. Jesus says, however... I'm sensing that your response right now would be quite different. I sense that you are well on your way to being convinced, though at this point, you're probably only able to say, it seems like he did. Seems like he did need to die, suffer these things. It seems almost like he had to die. Well, men, the truth is, everything that I have walked you through, all the scriptures that I have shared with you, should leave no doubt at all in your mind. Let me try to draw it all together now. Let me build for you an ironclad case, a case based upon undeniable logic. Let's take what we have discovered, piece by piece, and fit it together, just like a puzzle. So, there's four pieces. To this puzzle. Number one, Jesus, the one that you call Jesus of Nazareth, had to die because he was the devil destroyer God promised. The devil's successful deception of Eve and Adam set in motion a terrible sequence. Here's a great truth that the Spirit will soon reveal to the world the Spirit of God will reveal to the world that sin entered into the world through one man. Sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came upon all men, for all have sinned. Here's another great truth that the Spirit will bring with him when he comes. For as much then... As the children of God are partakers of flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same. He took upon himself flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. You see, Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die because he planned to defeat death by overcoming it. And by doing so, he would destroy the only hold that the devil had upon mankind. So the great first step toward destroying the devil himself has been taken these past three days. Puzzle piece number two. Jesus had to die because... He was the sin offering God provided. Here's an incredible truth that the Spirit will soon make known to all of Jesus' followers, and it's this, God. God the Father made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. He is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, just like John the Baptist said he was. And as I have reminded you, Isaiah said that one was coming on whom God would lay the iniquities of us all. Jesus is the sacrifice that the Father has provided. And as you know, the sacrifice must be slain. That's what happened this past Friday. Picture your sins being placed on him and be thankful that what he has, for what he has done. He would be, he would desire to be your personal savior. Remember and put these words of his into proper context. Jesus himself said, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to Give his life as a ransom for many. Delivered from the power of sin and the penalty of sin are all those who will put their trust in him. Don't doubt him. His death was for you. Puzzle piece three. I want you to see that Jesus had to die because he was the prophet, Moses predicted. You see, prophets speak for God. And thus the things they say must come to pass. So listen to these words that Jesus said himself about himself. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. And he said, destroy this temple, meaning his own body, and in three days I will rise it up again. If for no other reason, Jesus had to die just to fulfill the prophecies that he had made about himself. And now, as if we needed any more evidence to answer our question in the affirmative, did he have to die? Here's a fourth piece to the puzzle. Jesus had to die because he was David's long-awaited heir. Listen to this insight that the Spirit of God will soon reveal to the entire body of believers. Jesus Christ is the most worthy of all men who would ever walk the earth. He was made of kingly stuff. He has greatly out David, David, if I could say such a thing. Here's how the world will soon come to understand him. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not just King over Israel, but Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the glory of every king who has ever sat or will ever sit upon an earthly throne fades to an almost indistinguishable dimness compared to the glory of this heir of David. His sacrificial death His willing sacrificial death, his willing sacrificial death that completely redeems all those who put their trust in him, creates a glory brighter than the noonday sun. The entire heavenly host has already welcomed him home and has seen him placed on his eternal throne. He is the one for whom the entire nation has yearned. He is the one in whom the fullest blessings of God will be found. He is the one to whom members of every tribe and nation on earth will one day come. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His deeds and especially his willing sacrificial death demonstrate that he is indeed David's long-awaited heir. And at that point, we let the lesson end. At that point, I would imagine these two men have said, not only are their hearts burning, but their minds have exploded. Truth, truth, truth. Of course, he had to die. He died to pay for our sins. He died that God might be able to highly exalt him. He died that he might take the first giant steps toward destroying the devil forever. He died by being that prophet who would declare things that no one else had ever heard or said. And see, at that point, at that point, the Bible tells us their eyes were opened And their personal Easter story began. They recognized him just as he vanished. But they had no doubt that it was him. They turned around and I imagine ran, jogged, did the best they could to get all the way back to Jerusalem as fast as they could. Get back there to add their testimony to the testimony of others. You see, during that time from what we read, Jesus himself, in his resurrected state, had appeared to Simon. Simon, who was just beat down to nothing. Simon, who the last time we heard of him, had gone out into the dark, was weeping bitterly, was feeling the Lord would never, God would never have anything to do with him again. And Jesus found Simon. And he appeared to him. And you got to know, when these two men got back to that little grouping of disciples, Simon Peter was right in the middle of them, probably still excitedly telling them. And all the rest of them are saying, and he's appeared to Simon. It's like if Simon says so, it must be true. (laughs) They doubted the women. Our women amazed us. But now they're saying, and he appeared to Simon. You see, Jesus hadn't even appeared to them yet. But he had made a special appearance to Simon. And now these two men come in and said, he's appeared to us. You wouldn't believe the things he told us. All afternoon he spoke to us. We didn't even recognize it was him, but the words he was saying just transformed us. And then right at the end, as we sat down to a meal and he stood up as though he were the host and he took bread and he thanked God for it and he broke it and the other eleven said, oh, we've been there. We've been there the night that he was betrayed. He did that very same thing. And these two say, and when he broke that bread and offered it to us, our eyes were opened and we knew it was him. they all rejoiced. They all rejoiced. What a day. What an awesome day. What a way to wrap it all together. And right now I want to have you watch a little Easter video that does its attempt in wrapping these things together and giving us some pictures to put into our minds and hearts. (laughs) Let's just imagine Jesus is right here in our midst, let's hear your applause if he were. (laughs) Oh, that is good. Did you notice even some of the images, some of the phrases in that video are the very ones that that we've gone through? It's like the ones who made it kind of had an idea about what we're doing over this last month, but having seen that, and having seen the puzzle put together, I want you to consider with me now today's final thought. And now do not treat this final thought the way you normally do. A lot of you, you read final thought, and you hear, time to get out of here. (laughs) This final thought is a final thought of this message this morning, and, and it implies some things. And opens doors to possibilities that, that I want to just share with you, but here's how it goes. This is what it says. Final thought: the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has its roots in the Garden of Eden. We know that now, don't we? We know that. We know that our profoundly wise Heavenly Father has, has been laying out this plan from the first moment that man failed him. The roots of Christ's death and resurrection uh, are found in the Garden of Eden and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the stimulation of all that is yet to come. Indeed. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ had its roots in the Garden of Eden where God the Father promised that one would come who would destroy the devil once and for all. One who would overcome the results of the terrible choice made by our original parents, Adam and Eve. Death would follow sin. God said it would, and it did. But there would come one who would triumph over death and make a way whereby fallen sinful human beings could share in his triumph. Fallen, sinful human beings would have the penalty of sin lifted from their shoulders and the curse of sin lifted and cleansed from their hearts. The roots of their salvation as well as Christ's death and resurrection are found in the Garden of Eden. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has its roots in the Garden of Eden fulfilling the promise of God. But even more than that, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the stimulation for all that's yet to come. So let me ask you as we close on this Easter morning, what has the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ stimulated in you? Has it stimulated in you a belief that he is indeed the one God the one that God has sent to pay for your sins? Has it stimulated in you an acceptance of him as your personal savior from sin and death? Has it stimulated in you a surrender of your life to him and a commitment to live your life for him? Has it stimulated in you a delightful an undeniable embrace of the Holy Spirit whom he sends to walk with all who are his? Has it stimulated in you the desire to publicly identify yourself with him in believer's baptism? How much has the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ stimulated you In your mind, in your heart, in your life, in your commitments, in your behavior, in your testimony to the world. You see, I trust that the answers to all those questions is a resounding yes. It stimulated all those things in us, and today it might re-stimulate some of those things in us to realize that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ died to provide salvation. Perhaps there's somebody in this room who has never known that before or knowing that you've never acted upon it and realize that you need to ask Jesus Christ to become your Savior. You need to ask God the Father to forgive you of your sins because of what Jesus has done. You need to recognize that if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then he's given to you one to guide your life one to walk with you, one to teach you, one to to explain to you the things that matter and to separate you from a world that cares nothing about any of these things. And you embrace that Holy Spirit. And you say, I want to keep in step with Him. I want to walk with Him. He is my Savior's provision for me. And I want my life to be led by Him. Oh, if that's I trust that's true of all of you. If it's not true of any of us, then then we we have things we need to do because all of it is what God wants for us. All of it is why Jesus died for us. And I just say, let his death and resurrection just stir in you everything that he desires to stir. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? And let's just take a moment. Just be quiet with your own heart and mind. Some of you have identified with Christ for a long time. You've accepted him long years ago. You know everything that we said this morning is true. You know that the Bible is absolutely the explainer of all that Jesus did and said. And you believe that. But you're not anywhere near as actively following him as you once were, or as you know you ought to be. I trust today, if you're in a circumstance like that, that that the Spirit of God has allowed your eyes to be open and you recognize Jesus' truth is in your midst. And you need to respond to it. For it brings joy and delight and purpose. Fulfillment. Give yourself to Jesus Christ. Wrap your arms around his Holy Spirit and say, Guide me, direct me, make me exactly what Christ would have me be. And let this be a a very kind of resurrection day for you. Heavenly Father, it's a marvelous thing to rehearse the story of your Son, Jesus. To remind us of of your profound, wise ways of, of meeting every one of man's needs. And doing it in a way that honors God and reveals God's love and shows to us that that our life is to be defined in terms of your plan for us. So, Father, bless each one in this room right now. Open their hearts to whatever piece of truth they need to be letting in. And, Father, may they say this day, this day I give my life to Jesus Christ who died for me. Every moment of it, every minute of it, every aspect of it, I give myself to Jesus Christ and to the guiding hand of his Holy Spirit. Father, what a marvelous thing. Brings glory to God and it brings great, great peace and satisfaction to us. And we ask you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.